1: Journalists across the country have been writing editorials in support of impeachment, which poses the serious danger to Donald Trump that someone might read one of them. The New York Times, a former newspaper, published an attention-grabbing and emotionally powerful ad for a luxury hotel in Key West that really did look lovely. But on another page, there was some soporific call for the president to be brought down. Times editor-in-chief Blithering Prevarication III wrote, quote, Donald Trump poses an urgent danger to this country by doing whatever it is they're claiming he's done now. Never before has a president used government resources to investigate the campaign of an opposition candidate, and if he's not stopped, he might soon be using dishonest means to get warrants to spy on American citizens, which is absolutely unheard of, at least by anyone who gets their news from this paper. Trump presents a threat to Western civilization as we know it which is as a racist imperialist destroyer of innocent indigenous, indigenous people who were just going about their business enslaving and killing one another until we showed up and ruined everything, unquote. Television journalists are also weighing in. Wolf Blitzer, in a commentary delivered to the CNN audience, who was rushing to catch his connecting flight to Baton Rouge, said, quote, This historic impeachment is so historically historical that it's even historic how historic it is. Clearly, this is the beginning of the end of the walls closing in on the tipping point of whatever it was I was talking about, unquote. The Washington Post, where democracy dies of boredom, wrote, quote, Some might say this president has done a great job, while those running against him are a pack of clueless socialists who couldn't run an electric train, let alone a country. So if we don't impeach him, how the hell are we going to get back in power, unquote. The Post editorial did receive an almost immediate response from Polly, the parrot whose cage was lined with the paper trigger warning. I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. ship shaped ipsy-topsy, the world is a-biddy-zing. It's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hooray, hooray. Oh, hooray. Here we are still in New York, high atop Park Avenue, the lovely Park Avenue. The weather here is absolutely atrocious. I have no idea why anyone would live here when they could live in California with all the Democrats. Uh, There's a famous quote uh, that is often wrongly attributed to Albert Einstein uh, that defines insanity as doing the same thing over and over while expecting a different result. As far as I'm concerned, that's really just a definition of the human condition. I cannot tell you how many people I've met who live in emotional misery because of their own behaviors, and not only refuse to change those behaviors, but insist on the wisdom the wisdom of them, and even build whole personal philosophies to justify them. Now and again, I'll even get a letter from someone who's clearly neck deep in personal unhappiness, but tells me he's written an amazing manuscript on what the best way is to live. It's only the sane. Happy people, I know, who ask themselves when they're depressed, what am I doing wrong? How can I change? What's true of individuals is true of societies. When I look at San Francisco and Los Angeles, where I live, I see once amazing cities in a paradise-like state that have been turned into third-world cesspools by years of Democrat policies. But not only do the voters keep returning the Democrats to power, but those who get fed up and leave move to well-run conservative states like Texas and start voting Democrat there. It's nuts. Today in the New York Times, a former newspaper, a book critic made his year-end recommendations, and he said this, this is the headline, that these books salvaged an often sour year. He writes, in 2019, there was no escaping a sour and scalded national mood. Now, I don't know. (laughs) I've been feeling pretty good. The economy is getting bigger across the board. Wars are getting smaller. The world, and I'll talk about this later in the program, the world over the last 20 years or so has gotten better and better on almost every front. So if you and your family have your health, if you've got a job and a decent place to live and your mood is sour and scalded and unhappy, maybe the way you look at the world is the problem. Maybe your sense of things is off. I'll give the Times book critic this. There do seem to be a lot of angry people out there, just like there are a lot of homeless people in San Francisco and L.A. And yet these are good times, among the best times of my life. So maybe the answer is for sour individuals in dysfunctional cities to stop doing the same thing over and over while expecting different results. I keep hearing commentators talk about how Americans are living in two different realities, but that's not right, is it? There's only one reality. And if peace and prosperity have got you down, maybe the problem isn't Donald Trump. Maybe it's you. Let me talk about NetSuite. You know, yesterday I was talking about the fact that I was hoping that computers and the internet and all were making it easier for women who want to be at home with their children, who want to make a home, to run businesses out of their home. But in order to run your own business, you need tools that will help connect you to the numbers that underlie your business. And that's what NetSuite is for. What keeps growing businesses from knowing their numbers is this hodgepodge of business systems. NetSuite comes in handy because... It's a business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. It gives you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite from Oracle, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, and accounting orders and HR instantly right from your desktop or phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits at netsuite.com slash clavin that's netsuite.com slash clavin to download your free guide seven key strategies to grow your profits netsuite.com slash clavin anybody who wants to run a business has to know how to spell clavin it's K L A V A N. There are no ease There are no E's in Clavin. I'm wait. See now they have me waiting for the song, and it's, it's, when it wasn't there, I just completely fall apart. It's a, It's a. It's kind of a trauma. Uh, so don't forget the mailbag is tomorrow. Right in to. You better- <laughs> <laughs> the voices in my head are driving me insane. Uh, you have to be a subscriber to dailywire.com to get your questions answered, to go to dailywire.com. And I'll tell you, in a little while, I have a uh, holiday offer for subscriptions that will help you out. But go and subscribe so you can be in the mailbag. You can ask me anything you want. You can ask me about religion. You can ask me about politics. You can ask me about your personal life. And all my answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life. For the better, you're just going to have to find out. But that's the mailbag tomorrow. So get your questions in right now. Go to dailywire.com, go to the podcast section, go to the Andrew Clavin podcast, hit that little mailbag. Uh, Button and you can send your questions in if you're a subscriber. Let me begin with this Here is Steven Pinker the psychologist uh, giving one of these uh, TED Talks about the reality of the way the world is actually going
2: You can always fool yourself into seeing a decline if you compare bleeding headlines of the present with rose tinted images of the past What does the trajectory of the world look like when we measure well-being over time using a constant yardstick? Let's compare the most recent data on the present with the same measures 30 years ago. Last year, Americans killed each other at a rate of 5.3 per 100,000, had 7 percent of their citizens in poverty and emitted 21 million tons of particulate matter and 4 million tons of sulfur dioxide. But 30 years ago, the homicide rate was 8.5 per 100,000, poverty rate was 12 percent, and we emitted 35 million tons of particulate matter and 20 million tons of sulfur dioxide. What about the world as a whole? Last year, the world had 12 ongoing wars, 60 autocracies, 10 percent of the world population in extreme poverty and more than 10,000 nuclear weapons. But 30 years ago, there were 23 wars, 85 autocracies, 37 percent of the world population in extreme poverty, and more than 60,000 nuclear weapons.
1: These, these statistics really are amazing. I know they're just statistics, and it doesn't mean your life is going well, and it doesn't mean we don't have problems, it certainly doesn't mean we don't have spiritual problems, which we obviously do, just looking at the suicide rate. But, but let me, I, I don't want to overload you with this, but let me, let me just give you some more, because there was also a piece in the Wall Street Journal uh, this morning by a guy named John Norberg, who's a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, and he's written a book called Progress, 10 Reasons to Look Forward to the Future. He says, the 2010s have been the best decade ever. The evidence is overwhelming. Start with the United Nations Development Report. Now, <laughs> the funny thing about this report, because I read part of this report, it's a warning about inequality, but it plays down This. The gap in basic living standards is narrowing with an unprecedented number of people in the world escaping poverty, hunger and disease. The World Bank reports that the worldwide rate of extreme uh, poverty fell more than half from 18.2% to 8.6% between 2008 and 2018. Last year the World Data Lab calculated that for the first time more than half the world's population can be considered middle class. Think about that for a minute. Just pause for a minute. and Think, actually cast your mind back to actual history, not make-believe history where Columbus comes and kills everybody, but actual history where people are living in squalor, which is the way humankind has been living for most of its existence and and throughout most countries of the world. It's just an amazing thing when you think about, I mean, I've seen these places, these third-world places where people still live in huts, but that is changing if for the first time more than half the world's population can be considered middle class health progress, he goes on to say, has been remarkable. People have been, have better access to water, sanitation, healthcare, and vaccines. The incident of malaria in Africa declined almost 60% from 2007 to 2017, and antiretroviral therapy reduced HIV, AIDS deaths more than half. Global life expectancy increased by more than three years, mostly thanks to children not dying anymore. We were talking a little bit about that yesterday. Uh, The global mortality rate for children under five declined. It's just all of these things are just uh, unbelievable. But the one last uh, stat I want to get to is that the environment is improving. All right. At a certain point, developed countries start polluting less. This is really important. Death rates from air pollution declined by almost a fifth worldwide and a quarter in China between 2007 and 2017. Rich countries use less uh, basic materials. Um, Global warming remains a challenge, he says, but wealthy societies are well positioned to develop clean technologies and to deal with the problems of a changing climate. What is a realistic attitude toward this? Hooray? Maybe zippity-doo-dah? Yahoo? Something like that. Something like that. Here's Greta Thunberg with her reaction.
0: This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet... You all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet I'm one of the lucky ones.
1: You know, (laughs) I mean, mean, that, that is sad. How dare you? How dare you? How dare you say this? But it is sad. It is sad that a child, a 16-year-old child, should should feel this way. And, you know, here's the thing. Recently, there was this kind of dust-up when that—remember that crazy leftist uh, law professor at the impeachment hearing? She made a joke about Barron Trump, and Melania Trump said, you know, that she should be ashamed of herself. And But he said, well, you didn't uh, didn't say anything about when your husband attacked Greta Thunberg. He's been kidding her about having anger management issues and telling her she should relax. And— the, the White House said, you know, this is different. Barron Trump is not a political figure. He's not bothering anybody. He doesn't appear anywhere. He doesn't make any speeches. He doesn't do anything. This is a political figure, but it's also a strategy. It's a strategy to defend a lie. The lie is that global warming is a disaster and we're all going to die in 12 years. And it's, it's, the strategy is to put a child up there and then say, if you attack her, you're attacking a child. But she's doing the work of an adult. She's doing the political work of an adult. And time magazine made her like person of view. The- Why anybody cares what time? Does anybody even read? Time Magazine. It's like it's this vestige. It's like wondering who won the Oscar. Who cares anymore? They're going to give it to the most politically correct person. They're going to make sure the right number of minorities get it and women and all this stuff. So who cares who wins an Oscar if that's what it is? Who cares if it's on the cover of Time Magazine with nobody's reading it? But here's the thing. And and you know, noel has got in trouble for this. He got in trouble for for saying something about her mental state. But let's look, by her own account, at the age of 11, several years after learning about the concept of climate change for the first time, she this is her saying that she fell into a depression and became ill. She says, I stopped talking. I stopped eating. In two months, I lost about 10 kilos of weight. Later on, I was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, OCD and selective mutism. That basically means I only speak when I think it's ne- necessary. This is a girl who has been, in some sense, abused, emotionally abused. I mean, to tell your children that the world is going to end in 12 years, that everything is falling apart and everything is going bad, when, in fact, everything is getting better, including the environment, including our ability to handle things like climate change, that's a sin. That is that is the wrong thing to do. You know, it, it, there was a perfect little metaphor for this, almost a novelistic little metaphor, uh, when uh, Thunf. Uh, Greta tweeted out that she was going home and she was riding on the floor of an overcrowded train. And she was she put out this picture of her sitting with her on the floor with her luggage. <laughs> and the the train company, the railway company, is in Germany. The railway company tweeted back, "Dear Greta, thanks for supporting us railroaders in the fight against climate change. We were happy you were traveling with us, uh, and and with with our 100 sustainable electricity." And then he added, "It would have been even nicer." If you had also reported how friendly and competently you were taken care of by our team in your seat in first class, <laughs> you got caught up. and it's a perfect little metaphor for this person who sees herself on an overcrowded train in the you know among sitting on the floor among her luggage like she's in some third world country on top of a bus when in fact. She's she's sitting in a seat in first class. I mean, that's a perfect metaphor for Greta Thunberg. And, and, you know, their strategy works because if you attack her, there is something. Even I feel bad when you attack her. But, in fact, she's just a tool. She's being used and being used at her expense, uh, which is just a cruel and rotten thing to do. And the fact is, look, adolescent young girls... Are catastrophists. I'm every single one of them. I've never met an adolescent young girl who wasn't over dramatic, you know. And, and so, this is a girl who's been led to be over dramatic, who's been told things are going uh, down the drain. But the thing is, the entire Democrat Party is a 16 year old girl. As far as I'm concerned, the entire Democrat Party is a 16 year old he girl. He's right. Do you know that? <laughs> and that's what and That's what this impeachment thing is about. Let's, let us Let me just show you what I mean. Let's go to Knucklehead Row, the op ed page of the New York Times. Oh, hey, hey. To Knucklehead Row. Thomas Friedman, one of the chief knuckleheads on Knucklehead Row, he was answering a an op-ed talking about impeachment and how he shouldn't impeach. Here's his response: President Trump not
3: only should be impeached, he must be impeached if we're to preserve America as we've known it. Of course, ideally, presidents should be removed by the will of voters through elections. But Eliana, when I hear Trump defenders say impeachment would subvert that process. I say, really? What the hell do you think Trump was doing? He was subverting the will of the people by using our tax dollars to force Ukraine to investigate his most feared opponent, Joe Biden, in the next election, rather than trusting voters to do that. If we say, as Republicans are, that what Trump did is not impeachable, we're telling ourselves and every future president, hey, it's okay to enlist a foreign power to tilt the election your way. Can you imagine how much cash future candidates could raise from Saudi Arabia, or how many cyber warriors they could enlist from Russia to tilt future elections? The sanctity of our elections would be shot, and we'd never again have a president who, whether or not you liked him or her, was at least seen as
1: legitimately elected. You must be joking. (laughs) Let's, Let's leave aside for a minute the fact that we just found out the FBI used false information to obtain warrants to spy on American citizens. Let's just forget about the fact that under Obama, our civil liberties were actually being destroyed, being eaten away, while the press sat there with its head up its butt, its collective butt, doing absolutely nothing. Let's forget about that for just a second. America as we know it depends on our impeaching Donald Trump Is there anybody, aside from that crazy woman who screamed at the sky when Trump was elected, anybody but that, is there anybody who really feels that way? I mean, when you look around, do you feel that Donald Trump saying to uh, Ukraine, you know, and while you're at it, look up Joe Biden and see what he was up to, it threatens your security and your freedom? I mean, they're inventing this. Not only are they inventing this world. Listen to what this is Masha Giesen of The New Yorker. Listen to what she says about it. What worries me the most, actually,
3: is that I think that since, since about a week ago, uh, when we saw the legal uh, experts testifying in, in Congress, I think we've been in new territory, which is the sense that reasonable people can disagree about whether he's uh, uh, he should be impeached. Right. I think this was this was Turley's testimony in in,
1: <clears throat> in the Judiciary Committee, but I found it absolutely terrifying. Are you serious? It's absolutely terrifying that reasonable people might disagree with her opinion. This is an amazing thing. And I believe her. I believe she's absolutely terrified. I believe she is living in a world in which Donald Trump is a threat to our civil liberties, but Obama is not. And again, I don't think there are two realities. I think I'm right and she's wrong. I think it is a true threat to our civil liberties when the FBI spies on American citizens lies to get authorization to spy on American citizens in order to thwart a a political campaign I think that's a real threat I think what Donald Trump did a little sloppy a little bit of a big mouth not so much I'm right She's wrong. And this is the thing. I mean, she's miserable and I'm not. And it's not because I wasn't even miserable during the Obama administration. I just thought, oh, we lost. We'll have to win next time. That is not the outlook that they are taking. Does anybody, does anybody truly wake up afraid unless it's a 16 year old girl? Does anybody wake up afraid that Donald Trump has somehow impaired our right to have a free and fair election? More or at at all compared to the FBI and the way they treated him, I really doubt it. And the funny thing, here's the funny thing about impeachment. Not only do I disagree that Trump's behavior is impeachable, but I think you could really look at the whole thing from an absolutely, the absolute opposite angle. And I will do that in just a second. But first, let me talk about Shield because you know the other day this i'm sad to say this is true i pressed the wrong button on my automatic garage and the door came down and hit my car Anytime your car can get those kinds of annoying little damages that have to be fixed and their cars are like they're like computers on wheels now they you know they have electronically controlled transmissions touch screen displays dozens of sensors and all of this stuff is expensive to fix if it breaks Car Shield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for a covered repair, including computers, GPS electronics and more. You get to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work and CarShield takes care of the rest. They offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed. CarShield has already helped over 1 million customers. You can be one of them. Whether you have 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles on your car it's inevitable. Something will break and you can get this kind of protection. Don't wait until your check engine light comes on. Get covered by CarShield today. Call 800-CAR-6 And mention code Andrew or visit carshield.com and use code Andrew to save 10%. That's carshield.com, code Andrew. A deductible may apply. Um, So the the funny thing is that the Democrats are basically threatening to turn the tables. Uh, The Republicans are basically threatening to turn the tables on This entire investigation, Bill McGurn has a terrific column in the journal today saying now that his impeachment work is over, here's a new assignment for Adam Schiff to investigate whether the bad intel in the Christopher Steele dossier was there because the former British spy was a sloppy partisan or... Was he the patsy in a Russian disinformation campaign? As chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Mr. Schiff is plainly the man for the job. Such an investigation fits comfortably with his off-stated complaint that Vladimir Putin interfered in the 2016 presidential election and will do so again in 2020 if we don't stop him. Meanwhile, the allegation that the Steele dossier was a product of Russian disinformation comes from one of Mr. Schiff's own star witnesses, Fiona Hill. Now, this was something that happened... In the uh, impeachment hearings, it was really uh, one of those moments that, of course, the mainstream press sort of buried. But Adam Schiff was trying to get at, you know, the the, the myth that the Democrats spread around and that Mueller helped spread was that Vladimir Putin was trying to um, was trying to get Trump to win and Hillary to lose. And I said from the very beginning that is absolutely absurd. Everyone knew, including me, everyone knew Hillary Clinton was going to win. There was no way Vladimir Putin had any idea that Donald Trump could win because nobody had any idea Donald Trump could win. So I speculated, well, what was he doing? He's obviously just screwing around with our election. And their own witness, Fiona Hill, said the same thing. Here she is.
4: The Russians' interests, uh, frankly, are to delegitimize our entire presidency. So one issue that I do want to raise, and I think that this would resonate with um, our um, colleagues um, on the committee uh, from the Republican Party, is that the goal of the Russians was really to put whoever became the president by trying to tip their hands on one side of the scale under a cloud. So if Secretary, former First Lady, former Senator Clinton had been elected as president, as indeed many expected uh, in the run-up to the election um, in 2016, she too would have had major questions about her legitimacy, and I think that you know what we're seeing here as a result of uh, all of these narratives. As uh, this is exactly what the Russian government was hoping for. If they seed misinformation, they seed doubt. They have everybody questioning the legitimacy of a presidential candidate be it President Trump or potentially President Clinton, that they would pit one side of our electorate against the other, that they would pit one party against the other.
1: See, this is the thing, and I I said this from the very beginning, because it has to be true. It's the only way the story makes sense. Vladimir Putin has been messing with our elections forever. They do all this kind of, uh, you know, they take out ads and they do whatever they can to disrupt things, right? He doesn't care whether Donald Trump is president. This whole mythology that Donald Trump was a Russian asset, that that Brennan and Clapper were selling on TV to cover up their own uh, bad behavior in the Obama administration, it just doesn't make sense. There was simply no way for Vladimir Putin to know there was any chance of Donald Trump winning. He went after Clinton because it was obvious she was gonna win. That's why he's mostly targeting Clinton, not Trump. But if it had been clear that Trump was going to win, he uh, he would have targeted Trump. It's America that he's after. It's us. He wants us at each other's throats. So who are the Russians' assets? Because this is a Putin's success that he couldn't even have dreamed of. Adam Schiff going on TV and convicting uh, Trump for two years of Russian collusion falsely, of lying about it. Adam Schiff lying about his relationship with uh, the whistleblower in the Ukraine affair. Adam Schiff lying now about whether he could have known that the FBI FISA warrant process was out of control when Devin Nunes knew two years ago why didn't he know because he was lying because he was lying Adam Schiff is a is a Russian af- asset I don't think on purpose I just think he's a patsy who has played in to the Russian uh, plan to make us to turn us against each other James Comey another guy James Comey who did uh, went after Trump with a vengeance. Who made it sound as if it were possible that Donald Trump was some kind of, you know, colluding with the Russians. Uh, as I think it was Lindsey Graham recently said, Donald Trump doesn't collude with anybody. He doesn't collude with his own government. Why would he collude with the Russians? It's nonsense. And of course, Jerry Nadler, who just does whatever that's told, I'm sure, who's bumbling around trying to make this impeachment thing sound like it's a constitutional emergency. These are the, you know, the three Russian stooges. You know, these are the guys who, this is the Molari and Curly of Russia's attempt to fiddle with our country, and they—they they have just been patsies for this guy who is very good at disinformation and who sent that disinformation through Christopher Steele and through this now now we know bogus dossier. That who fell for it? I didn't. They did. Who who did it? Not Trump. It was them. You know. And now it doesn't. But it doesn't matter. The Dems now have the votes. Uh, they're saying they have the votes to pass their impeachment. All these people uh, who became. Um, You know, I think it's over 30 uh, who gave the Democrats the House majority by winning in Trump friendly states have basically, I'm sure, been bullied by Pelosi into doing her her dirty work because there's no way they're going to let this vote fail. And I think that, you know, they're in trouble. I mean, we saw Alyssa Slotkin. um, This is the clip of her. Uh, speaking to the crowd, fighting with protesters who turned up. Now, a lot of union guys showed up and were cheering for her, but there was a substantial. She's in Michigan, and it's a Trump friendly state, and a lot of Trump supporters showed up and were really giving her a hard time as she fought to explain herself. Some of
0: my colleagues came out in support
4: of um, an impeachment, frankly, when they were sworn in, January 3rd. That was one of the first things that some people did. A whole other group of folks um, oh. came out uh, around the time Any of homes. the Mueller report and the Mueller testimony. Oh. And I did not think that, you know, the events of that or the actions of that time this is were worthy of an impeachment. And I did it because I thought we needed to let the election of 2020 decide what was going to happen in our
2: country.
1: So that's what, that's what she's walking into. I admire her for going out and explaining her point of view. I admire her for facing the crowd. That was the right thing to do uh, and good for her for doing it. Uh, you know, I'm sure she's, she's an evildoer. She's just in a situation where she has to do that or she'll get no campaign funds from the Democrats. Here's Lindsey Graham, though, talking about the way he sees impeachment. He's now become a powerful force uh, for this as the Senate trial approaches. This cut 11.
3: I have nothing but disdain for this. I'm trying to make myself clear. What you're doing in the House is bad for the presidency. You're impeaching the president of the United States in a matter of weeks, not months. You had a two-year investigation. That wasn't enough. I think this whole thing is a crock. You're shutting the president out. The process in the House. Any partisan group could do this in the mm-hmm. future. You're weaponizing impeachment and I want
1: to end it. I don't want to legitimize it. I hate what they're doing. <laughs> what he's talking about too, is he's talking about just not even having witnesses at the trial, just using the house uh, testimony that from their hearings, as the trial and then throwing them all out. And then he's talking about investigating Hunter Biden and Joe Biden uh, separately, and he's a friend of Joe Biden. So when he talks about it, he may mean, he may well mean it. Meanwhile, again, of these two points of view, reality or Democrat, uh, it, the people are starting to side with reality. I mean, I, reality always has a voice, no matter how much, how, what, How big the empire of lies is. Uh, Reality always has a voice. Weeks of congressional hearings and debate have failed to move the electorate on impeachment according to the latest Fox News poll. At the same time, approval of President Trump, uh, President Trump's performance um, has climbed three points. It's 45% of voters approve of the job Trump's doing, up from 42% in late October, over half, 53% disapprove. That's about the same as um, as what Obama had at this point um, that lands the president almost exactly where he started the year. So this has moved the needle, not at all, as far as that goes. And that, is, like I said, that is where Obama goes. So this is the I'm telling you, reality has a voice, and the people who do not see uh, reality ultimately are going to get burned. I really do think that when you're living in this fantasy world that makes you miserable, it may be time to think about yourself. and Maybe it's, uh, it's all you, maybe it's not the world. Let me talk, before we take a quick break, let me talk about our fantastic... Uh, holiday deals because I know you're out there shopping and walking from place now you're on the internet but even so you want the perfect gift for your loved ones what is the perfect gift what else of course a daily wire gift membership from now till January 1st all insider plus gift memberships will be 25% off that means your loved one will get all the fantastic perks plus plus the majestic unique leftist tears tumblr but you will get the savings. You'll get them the gift. But you get to, so you get the savings. That's twenty-five percent off all Insider Plus gift memberships uh, this holiday season. Give them a gift that they will thank you for all year long. Go to dailywire.com/gift to get your twenty-five percent off. Again, that's dailywire.com/gift to get your twenty-five percent off. Don't wait because they will want to be in the mailbag, which is coming up tomorrow. So go on dailywire.com. Yeah! Scream! You have to scream like that. That's the code. That's the password. You scream like that, and then you get a subscription, and then go to the podcast section, the Andrew Klavan podcast, hit that mailbag button, ask me anything you want. All your problems will be solved for the price of a subscription. What? Who else offers you a deal like that? we got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Good chance to come over to dailywire.com and subscribe. Uh, You know, this is why, by the way, I want to go back to this British election for just a minute because there was a really good insight about it uh, from this guy, Walter Russell Mead. You know, I love this guy. I think he's the new Charles Krauthammer, just a great writer uh, on international affairs. And I I think one of the reasons it's so important is because to get at the reality of what is really happening, everybody has an interest. See, this is the funny thing. Everybody has an interest. Except for me. I have no interest except that I want freedom. That's all I want. I want the Constitution to stay in place and then you guys can fight over whatever you want. But everybody has an interest. They they have made a, made careers out of a certain kind of conservatism. Uh, maybe they, they have worked for a magazine that pushes a certain kind of conservatism or they work for a magazine that pushes leftism or whatever it is. And so everybody wants to seize what they want to see, but it's very hard to look through that and see what really is going on, what the people want. And Meade has a terrific analysis of this incredible defeat of the crazy Labour Party by the equally uh, crazy Boris Johnson with the Conservative Party. What are the people saying? What were they saying when they elected Donald Trump? This is the thing that has so annoyed me about the never-Trumpers, and it really annoys me. You know, I, Look, they're good people, it's not about them being evil-doers or anything like that. It just annoys me that they don't pause and say, when everything I expected goes in another way, when everything I want is rejected by the people, what are the people saying? It's their country. It's our country. It, is in, it belongs to the people who live in it. So to sh- just say, I don't like Trump, go away, go, go be gone, orange man bad. You know, I mean, that is not getting at the truth of what's happening to your country, your people, your fellow citizens, you know. So he he's talks about, he says, the election result in England, where, again, this kind of strange orange haired con- conservative guy one, destroyed this Party that has drifted so far to the left that it has left, it's basically in the sea somewhere. He says, the election result demonstrates the power of the most disruptive force in global politics today. Jeremy Corbyn, the, lab, the crazy anti-Semitic communist labor leader, the sort of uh, Bernie Sanders of Britain, he misdiagnosed that force as a rejection of capitalism. It's more subtle. Voters around the world want the prosperity and opportunity that global capitalism provides, but many fear and reject the social consequences of the free market. This is the argument I get in with Ben all the time, right? You just can't say, oh, people's Communities are being destroyed by global capitalism, but I like global capitalism so we don't have to do anything about it We don't have to deal with these people They have a vote. It's their country and when you leave them starving and committing suicide They're gonna vote the people you like out of office and they're gonna vote in people that you don't like Large-scale, he goes on to say, large-scale immigration job losses to automation and foreign competition, the unequal distribution of capitalism's rewards, and the financial instability and risk associated with innovation innovation are all massively disruptive and inspire backlash, a global surge of populism and identity politics. From Hungary and Turkey to India and beyond, voters are embracing politicians who attack classic liberal political and economic values and vow to defend the cultures and communities this avalanche of change seems to threaten. Now that's very frightening to to people, right? It's frightening when people say, here's capitalism that has made the world, as we were discussing the first part of the show, it's capitalism that has made the world so much richer, it's capitalism that has put an end to poverty, it's capitalism that lifts all boats, but The kind of capitalism we're practicing has caused problems in separate countries. That countries have identities, they have cultures, and they want those cultures to remain. And Walter Russell Mead goes on to talk about Edmund Burke, whom I'm also always talking about. He wrote this incredible book called Reflections on the Revolution in France, which just prophesies, prophesies the terror that's coming after the revolution in France. Burke saw it coming. He also saw how good the American Revolution was. He was right about every single thing. And he was despised by the left of England in his time and only recognized by people who had had that kind of experience, that red pill experience of realizing that the French Revolution wasn't such a a great thing. Like William Wordsworth who said, basically, he wrote a poem saying Burke was right about everything. Burke's whole point is that the radicals hate your traditions. They hate your traditions because they see them as obstacles to what they want to accomplish. We know this here, right? This is the left. But what Burke said is, wait, it's the traditions that got you here. So while change is inevitable, this is Burke's whole point, while change is inevitable, you want to change in keeping with your traditions. That is the reason those traditions are there. Those traditions are strong to have brought you here. Through other changes, they will bring you forward Through new changes, we know the world is going to change, but we want it to change in keeping with American values. And instead, what the left is doing, what the New York Times is certainly doing, is throwing those values overboard, trying to tag them as the enemy. Here's what uh, Walter Russell meets, how he finishes this analysis, this brilliant analysis of the British election. He says, from this perspective, the Burkean perspective, Brexit leaving the EU is less a retreat from globalization than a first step in re-establishing the national unity and cohesion that will prepare the UK for the changes ahead. The same can be said for Mr. Johnson's conquest of labor territory in the north, which is Britain's equivalent to our Rust Belt. The area's defection may be the first step toward revitalizing its sluggish economy growth and defensive political attitudes. In other words, they want England to be England and they want England to be defended from uh, globalism, from reckless globalism, but they understand that the world is going to change, it's going to become more multi-ethnic, it's going to become different. In this way, in, in, to my mind, America has such a big advantage. This is why I oppose the Groypers uh, and their their bigotry. Uh, it is bigotry, it is it's racism. This is why I oppose it so much, not just on Christian grounds, though I do oppose it on Christian grounds, I think, to, racism as a sin against the image of God. But let's leave that, the moral argument aside and let's just talk about the fact that the future is going to be multi-ethnic, the future is going to be global, but we want it to be global with Anglo-American values. These values are the best values. They are genuinely good values. The values of democracy, the values of uh, of, of of freedom, the values of the people being the ruler. And we have such a big advantage in this because our values are not attached to race. They are written down. They're written down in the Declaration. They're written down in the Constitution. Anybody can apply. Now listen, the people who have a problem with open immigration, who have a problem with illegal immigration, they have a a real point. We can only let in enough, as many people as we can assimilate to, to these values, and we can only let in the people who want to assimilate to those values. That makes perfect sense. But because our values are written down, because we have them on paper, because we have this history with them, The English have them in their blood. I don't understand how that happens. But the English really have been very good at being free. They've been conservative when it was time to be conservative, liberal when it was time to be liberal. They really are an amazing people. There's just no question about it. An amazing island race. Uh, I I have to give them credit. They, They give us... They give us the system, but we have taken that system and made it global. We have taken that system and made it uh, importable and exportable, just like the Romans did with Greek values. It's the same. It really is the same thing. The connections are absolutely amazing. The Romans spread the Hellenic world. Alexander the Great spread it, and then the Romans spread the Hellenic world to most of the west and that is really what we are doing and we take people in and we make them us and we send out we help people out and we make them us and that's a good thing because american values are amazingly great values and what we need to do is we have to stop the left from attacking those values and from attacking the things that we are so as the world becomes global At at a pace that is reasonable, at a pace that doesn't destroy our communities, at a pace that doesn't, uh, you know, bring in slave labor to replace American labor, at a pace that is reasonable and ethical, as we do that, we can continue to live out our values and sell those values to the world, which needs them desperately. Let me have one last final reflection on the things that make people miserable. Uh, you know, th- there's a story about the Hallmark Channel. I'm, I'm one of the first people who ever noticed the phenomenon of the Hallmark Channel. Me and my my sister uh, Caitlin Flanagan over at the Atlantic, uh, she had heard about it before, but I was the first person I think to really start talking about it. What an amazing thing the Hallmark Channel is selling these fantasies to women, basically, as in terms of Christmas movies. And it's very, it's you know, it's almost every movie is the same. You can make a chart of how to put the together. It's very funny and all this. But it's a family, basically uh, um, Christian-oriented company and channel. And they played an ad on it that was an ad for, I think it was for some kind of wedding site that had a lesbian wedding in it. Do we have just a couple of seconds of that?
0: I, Ava, wonder if our guests would be here on time if
1: we had a custom
2: wedding website with
0: our ceremony details on it. And I, Taylor, would pick Zola to have and to host our wedding website. Ours even matched our Zola invites. The whole thing was so freaking easy. Do you think Zola could have made planning your perfect
1: wedding easier?
0: We do. No, I do. We've helped a million couples plan their
1: weddings. No if you're a sick guy like me, you know, you can't understand why anyone would protest to watch two hot women kissing. But but apparently a conservative group, what a horrible thing to say. I'm ashamed of myself. Not really, actually. But a very conservative group. How dare you? (laughs) How dare I? Really? uh, Called One Million Moms, wrote in and said, why would you show a lesbian wedding commercial on the Hallmark Channel? Hallmark movies are family friendly and you ruined it with the commercial. So Hallmark Pulls the commercial, then the LGBTQ community gets up and they start going after them, and Ellen uh, DeGeneres goes after them, and all this stuff, and the whole bunch you know, puts it back and starts apologizing to them, and then put out a statement promising that they would work with GLAD and uh, you know the uh, the, L, the gay advocacy group, and they would uh, better represent the LGBTQ community across our portfolio of brands and all this stuff. So. I was watching Fox late last night just as I was going to bed, and some commentator got out and said, this is capitalism is its best. It's Hallmark responding to what they thought was the audience, but it wasn't the audience. They were actually uh, responding to LGBTQ. I completely disagree with that. As you know, I'm on the liberal side of this question. I, it, I don't care what people do, what relationships they have. I want their relationships to be protected if they're good for society. Uh, I, I understand that the state has some... Uh, some interest in keeping good, steady, committed relationships together. I, and I just I just don't care about what people are doing in their private lives. It's just not my, on my radar. And, and I have my own thoughts about it. I've gone into them a million times. I'm not going to go into it again. But a company has a right to have their own opinions about these things. This is a, a vexed moral question that has not decided and it, been decided, and it is not decided by bullying. It's not decided by silencing. It's not decided by cancel culture. It will be decided as we, as we discuss it and debate it. Hallmark should know what it believes, it should know what its management believes, and it should be willing, just like you and I, should be willing to take the hit for being who they are. If they believe that this is wrong, and they believe their audience is best served by not having it on, they should not have it on. And the problem with me, to me, with all these people, and the problem with this idea of capitalism, that money rules, that a company is ruled only by profit, of course a company is ruled by profit, but that it's ruled only by profit, is to me a, a desertion of the idea of values and the idea of your right to defend those values. And what I want to know about this cancel culture is: Has it made a single person happier? Are gay people really well served in being seen as bullies and tyrants and having this powerful, uh, you know, arm that basically? can beat anyone into submission. Has anybody been served by this idea that we can only use this word and not that word? Have the lives of black people been made better by calling everybody racist? Have the lives of uh, gay people been made better by uh, bullying people out of their deeply held values and trying to run people out of business when they disagree? I don't think so. Why do we keep doing the same thing over and over and expect different results? This does not make the world better. It is simply self-righteous, sanctified Bullying and companies, you know, I don't want them, I don't want them to go bankrupt, but I do think they have to stand up for know what they believe, know what they stand for, and have the guts to stick to it. Because it just is heartbreaking to me to watch our American companies sell out for a buck every single time. You can make plenty of money, you can make plenty of money and still believe what you believe. Maybe we should stop doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. All right, I got to stop there. Don't forget, the mailbag is tomorrow. Get your questions in if you want your life to go beautifully this holiday season, because it's the last mailbag before the new year. This is the last Claven week before the Clavenless Abyss opens up and you spiral into 2020. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. We will see you again tomorrow. Jonathan Hay. And our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant Director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Sayovitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2019.
0: On The Matt Walsh Show, we're not just discussing politics. We're talking culture, faith, family, all of the things that are really important to you. So come join the conversation. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards.